Good morning. So we're going to be back in Ecclesiastes this morning. Uh, we started a conversation last week, living in the moment. And realize in the midst of that, we're going to have to make this a two-part uh, conversation. And so we are back there uh, this morning. You know, and we just kind of concluded with just the whole concept of being present um, in life and not, you know, allowing our past or our future to distract us, but to be living in the moment. And, uh, and it's so easy for us to be stuck, I think, just because of circumstances and life and situations, to be stuck in the past, and it just kind of haunts us there, or to be too focused on the future and allowing it to distract us. Now, there isn't anything wrong, uh, uh, or there's about uh, reflecting back in the past or even reflecting into the future. There are, there are some things that are really healthy about that. For instance, it, it's a very healthy thing to reminisce, you know, about the past and to, to you know, remember and, and to have those uh, wonderful uh, memories of the past, and that's a super healthy thing. It's even healthy to look back in the past at past mistakes so that we can learn from them but it would be wrong for us to be imprisoned by them, to be, you know, something where it just weighs on us and it just keeps us from, you know, being present. And it's the same way with the future. You know, God has provided everything that we need to not be burdened by the past or the future. And I, I want us just to start with just meditating on this word from God where he just talks about that we are a new creation the old is gone. So let's look at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 as we get started here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. How many of you are glad that the old has passed away? <laughs> and that there is a new person within us now. There is a new person living within us now. Uh, Jesus Christ. And does that sound like that we should allow the past to hold us back from living in the now? No. No, it should not hold us back. The past, all of our shame, all of our regrets, all of our sin, all of our past has been dealt with by Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, and we don't have to just be dwelling there and be burdened by that. We don't have to suffocate on a daily basis or or, uh, you know, prolonged periods of time with what has happened in the past, because that was the old man. But the new man or the new person is now within us. We are free. And we are free for what exactly? Are we free to do? Well, to live in the now. And I want us to just continue with this thought and look at what he says right after that we are a new creation. In verse 18 he says, all this is from God. So it's God who's provided this newness, this new person, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So just think about that for a moment. So this is all from God, and what did he do? He reconciled us to himself. What does that mean? Well, it means that he, he brought us to himself, brought us back to himself, because we were wandering 
away from him, and he brought us back to him and to himself, and now he's given us the ministry of reconciliation, meaning that he's given us the opportunity and the responsibility to go and help other people be reconciled so that they also can have this newness, this new creation living in us. And he goes on, he says, that is, in Christ Jesus was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and entrusting us the ministry the message of reconciliation. So we have a mission in the here and now. That's why it's so important for us to live in the here and now. That's so important for us to be free, you know, free from our past, free to enjoy, free to, you know, just live life and not be burdened. Let me just pause for a moment and say something about that. It's really important that, I mean, we must back up our reasoning in this. If, if we are indeed free people to live in the here and now, to enjoy life because of what Jesus has given us, then we have to back this up. We have to show the world and, you know, our friends, our family, our coworkers, you know, the people at Walmart that we are indeed a new creation, that we are free from the old person. And, and so there just has to be, you know, this, this substance about us, this behavior about us. For instance, if you want to convince someone the Beatles are the greatest band ever, and to be honest with you, I don't know if they are or not because I don't listen to the Beatles, but if, if you were to convince the world that they are, it would be pretty tough going to convince anybody if you didn't know the name of their, late, you know, their last album. Or even any other albums, right? If you were going to convince them that they are the greatest band, then you would, it, it, you would have to at least know something about them and, and about their songs and the, the meaning behind it a little bit. And I just think that, that you know, the best way to show that we are truly free people, free from sin, free from the past, is not living in the past, but living free. Showing that we are actually free from it, that we are a new creation, that, that we are free to laugh. I think the, the most uh, happy people in the world should be the people who are free in Christ Jesus. We should be free to be content. I think the most contentful people in the world should be the people who profess to be followers of Jesus because he gives us the right to be so. We should be free to live satisfied lives in Jesus Christ. Now, people around us need to see that we are really free, that we don't just claim to be free, but that we are really free. Free to, to enjoy. Free to like what we do. And all of this requires some faith. Now, when we were baptized, Romans chapter 6 tells us when we were baptized, we were, we were buried with him, right? Isn't that what it says? And we were raised to do what? Does anybody know? Raised to walk in a newness of life is what the scriptures say. And that's what he's freed us to do, is walk in a newness. To not walk around burdened people, but to walk around free people. Now Solomon... Well, before we get there, just a reminder of a couple things from last week. 
Mark Twain, remember what he said? He says, I have known a great many troubles, but what was his conclusion? But most of them never happened. And sometimes, not only are we burdened by our past, but sometimes we can be burdened by our future too. We can always be worrying and always stewing about what we think is around the corner and worried about what is around the corner. And when we get around the corner, it wasn't even there in the first place. And most things are that way, not always. But we waste a lot of time just being burdened and not free to live in the present because we worry so much about what is around the corner. So both of these things can really affect us in a negative way. And I think that's one of the things that Solomon is trying to help us with. This is a man who has, has so much wisdom. I mean, and he didn't get it on his own. God gave it to him. And he went out with this wisdom to try to figure out what the meaning of life was. And he tried everything under the sun. And he came back and he says, look, I got it figured out. And he shares some things with us. And one of the things he shares with us is kind of the same concept that Jesus reminded us of in John 10, 10, when Jesus says, The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that you may have life and have it to the full or abundantly. And that abundance starts now. The life, eternal life, starts after we exit here. But he wants us to be free people to live now with an abundance about us. And there should be. And so Solomon last week was really emphasizing this thought I thought we would go back and just meditate on where the scriptures that we looked at last week. So Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 18 through 20, it says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all of the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. It wouldn't be a bad idea to underline, underscore, this is his lot, because we're going to come back to that, and it's also in the next verse. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. So basically what we concluded in our conversation last week is that we sh- he is really encouraging us to be people who enjoy our work, enjoy our toil while we are here because it's, it's a blink of an eye. It comes and goes and to enjoy what you find your hands to do. And this is important. And I realized that after I said that last week, that there's a lot of people that I've been made aware of that don't really enjoy their work. And I, and I get that. I mean, I really do. But I, I spent some time thinking about that. Like, okay, this is... I really think Solomon is on to something here. So what can I say to help this along a little bit? And here's the conclusion that I come up with personally, and that is that I get it. You know, not everyone does enjoy their work. Sometimes 
what needs to change is not necessarily a complete overhaul or a change of occupation. Sometimes it just needs to be an attitude that needs to change. Sometimes we just need to, in order to enjoy our toil, our labor, our work, sometimes we just need to see the value of what we do. And sometimes I think we just lose sight of that. Like we just have to rediscover that we are actually contributing something that's important to people and, 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 and it's uh, important work and to rediscover, you know, the satisfaction in it. It's just like there needs to be an attitude that needs to change. Perhaps we just don't see that we're really making a difference. Perhaps we need to see the value in what we do. You know, I was reminded of uh, a monk way back in the 1600s who was struggling with this himself, trying to figure out, you know, how he can find any satisfaction, any, you know, purpose in his labor of what he does. And through that, he learned the practice of practicing the presence of God in everything he does. And this man, this monk, he writes, Brother Lawrence, he writes about just how he learned to cultivate the deep presence of God so thoroughly in his heart that it didn't matter what he did, he found great joy in it. And most of the time, you know what he spent time doing? Washing pots and pans in the monastery that he was involved in. But yet he found such satisfaction in that work. And this is what he writes, one of the things he writes so much, but one of the things he wrote about after he discovered this, he says, I am doing now what I will do for all eternity. I am blessing God, praising him, adoring him, and loving him with all of my heart. He didn't need to go change occupations. He just needed to change his whole perspective and just realize that what he was doing was satisfying because he was... He was doing it unto the Lord with all of his heart. He was doing it to satisfy him, to be a blessing to him. Now, I realize that sometimes that's all that needs to be changed. Now, sometimes, though, that's maybe not all that needs to be changed. Maybe there needs to be just some concrete steps to redirect your path. Because I do think, I do think that sometimes... We just plugged into the wrong place. And we've always known this, but we've just not had the courage to, to make the plans to make the adjustments. And maybe that needs to take place. You know, maybe we need to go back to school. Maybe we need to put applications out. I don't think this is, I think this is like not the majority of us that are having a hard time finding joy in our toil. I think this is few of us that that I'm talking about here. But if if this is the case, then make some concrete plans to make those adjustments. I think we were just visiting about, you know, occupation change. And I I think that I'm talking now to just very few people. Most people just need to change attitude, rediscover the joy in what they do, find that they are investing and, in, you know, putting value into people's lives. Also, just find a way to just find satisfaction of doing it unto the Lord, as the Bible instructs us to do. Uh, but sometimes God does change our direction and our path. 
sometimes we just wake up and one day we're just like, I just really feel called. I need to be doing this, but yet I'm doing this. I think even as preachers, sometimes that that takes place, you know. Um, uh, that's why there's, there's Bible college professors now that are preaching in a church and why there's preachers at a church now teaching at a Bible college prophet, you know, Bible college, because they feel like this change in direction. And so uh, it, sometimes that happens. And so I encourage you to do that. But the point is, is, is that Solomon has given us some strong advice here and some good wisdom. And that is that we should find joy in our toil. We should find joy in our toil. And if we're not finding joy, let's figure this out because this is a big part of what life is about. Um, and some of us could come up here and just speak all day on about that, how, to, that, how you have done that. And uh, so that, there's just something about that I think is really important for us. Um, and he goes on to say then after that, so that's the first thing he tells us is that the, the, the secret of as we're walking down this path of, of having joy in life um, is uh, having joy in our toil. But then he also says, if you have wealth or possessions and power, enjoy them. Now, I know that this is the part that we left last week like to be continued because it would be really easy for us to misunderstand what Solomon is, is saying here and think that he is saying something that is contrary to what Jesus taught. And, it, and I don't think that that is the case. And so I'm going to do my very best to help you uh, see this and understand it. You know, everyone, he says in verse 19, he says, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. So enjoy our work and enjoy our lot. Um. Use what, you know, God has given you. God has, Jesus has given you the right to enjoy life, as we talked about at the beginning. Now, no doubt, um, Jesus would have some guidelines. You know, he would further this and does further this in the sense of, you know, okay, uh, some, here's some guidelines that you need to consider if you have power, like you're in a position of power uh, in order to... Uh, to do things right. Like, for instance, like the elders, they are in a position of power, but he tells them, do not lord your, your position over those. In other words, lead by example as a servant like you saw me lead and as I was a servant to all. And so he gives guidelines, and he gives guidelines for people who have money, you know, about to not, not love money, for that is the root of all evil, Right? Um, but, uh, and, and to be generous, and he has all these things, to be compassionate, to be evangelistic, and all these things. So, and we're going to touch on some of that here in just a minute. But I want us to dive a little deeper into this, because just so that you don't come across or come away from uh, thinking that Solomon uh, is, is trying to get us to be materialistic, to try to get us to seek power so that we can have joy in life, I'm so used to having two hands. Uh, to, to, you know, not to try to, you know, fill your box up with gold so that you can have joy in life. That's not what Solomon is getting at at all. Um, 
So what is he getting at then? Well, he's just, he's just trying to find out what life is about and the, and the secret of life while we live here. You know, like, how can we have joy under the umbrella of God, living under God? Because he already knows that uh, there's no satisfaction apart from God. So living, you know, satisfied lives under the umbrella of God, how is that played out? And we kind of just, what we did here, just so you know, is we went to his conclusion. Instead of starting at the very beginning of his thought process and all the things that he tried and done, we just went right to what he concluded after all of that trial. And what he concluded is, is enjoy your toil, your work, and enjoy what God has blessed you with, uh, your, your lot in life. And all of our lots are different measures, but let's just go to Ecclesiastes 5.10 for a moment here, just so we can kind of clarify some of this, maybe. This is what Solomon says before he gets to the conclusion where we've been spending our time. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is all vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has this has their owner but to see them with his eye? And so you see that Solomon is not trying to, when he says, enjoy your wealth and your possessions and, and um, your power, he's not trying to encourage you to pursue and run after possessions and wealth and power. If you were to do that, you would find that life is empty and it's all vanity under the sun. And that's why he states here before he even got there that who, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. There's, there's no sense in that. So putting our hope and trust in money is a really, really bad idea, which is exactly what Jesus taught us and what he taught his followers after him to teach us that uh, the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money. doesn't mean that money is the root of all evil. It's just the pursuit of it, the love of it, to think that it's going to be what satisfies you. It's what's going to be the answer to all of your problems and, and worries and things like that. No, it's not. Only God can satisfy you. Only God can fill that void. But... Whatever God has given you and blessed you, the gifts that he, remember, your, the gifts of God that he's given you, he's okay with you enjoying them. Now, verse 12, it says this. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Sweet is the sleep of the laborer. If you want to sleep like a baby, then do not pursue riches to be pursuing riches. If you want to sleep like a baby, don't start trying to hoard things just so you have things. 
if you want to sleep like a baby, don't think that money and possessions are going to be satisfying to you. Because you'll come up empty every time. Because that would be somebody that has a full stomach. The full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. And he'll just worry and stew. And he'll be somebody that's always living in the future, thinking somebody's going to be around the corner trying to steal it from me. You know, and trying to figure out how to protect it. It'd be somebody that becomes greedy. It'd be somebody that becomes... Because that's their pursuit. It'd be somebody that becomes, you know, jealous of what the next person has. Or somebody that's just kind of, you know, I have a million bucks, but I want two. You know, I have a billion, but the next guy has, you know, three, and I want three. You know, I mean, there's just no satisfaction no matter what you have. It's kind of even, and you say, well, I don't even have a million bucks. So I understand what you're saying. Those rich people are terrible. It can be in our heart, and we not have but a few hundred dollars. You know, one of the things that I learned about going east, where there's a whole lot of people that live, right? We, lit, we stayed for a week. We rented this place. That, like I said, it wasn't beachfront, and it wasn't like the, most, the, the nicest neighborhood in the place, right? It was mediocre, nice for us, mediocre, but it was also a row back. You know the people that, that live in the row back, what they want? They want the front row is what they want. And you know the people that live in the front row, what they want? They want what the guy down the beach has because he has a community where it's gated and you can't even get to his beach unless you have a password. And you know what the guy in the and that wants, he wants one way further south because it's even nicer down there. I mean, it's just endless. And this is just the attitude for which we are. It doesn't matter what we have. If we're always wanting what the next guy has, we're not satisfied with our lot. You see where that comes in play? The reason I wanted you to underline it is so important because that's what Solomon is saying. Be satisfied with what you have because this is the gift from God and he has blessed you. I can't even think of an American that should not be okay with what they have. Now, will they always know somebody else that has more than them? Absolutely. You know, they will. But even the poorest American that I know personally is rich compared to 80-some percent of the world. They just need to make a trip to Haiti. But when you go to Haiti... It's the same thing played out there. I'm just telling you. And they, Solomon would tell them the exact same thing that he's trying to tell us right now. Be satisfied with where you have, the power you have, the possessions you have, the wealth you have, and enjoy them. Enjoy them. And I think that that's some super solid advice. If... Look at verse 13. Let's go through this just for a few minutes here. He says, verse 13 through 17, he says, this is a grievous evil. So he's still learning. Before he gets to our conclusion that we already started with, okay, we're moving that direction. But he says, this is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Now remember, this man owns all wisdom. He also has everything to try everything. 
And he is just an observer at this point, and he's saying, this is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Rich, riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. And he came from his mother's womb. He shall go again naked as he came and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his, that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, he shall go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. You see, it's good to have things, and it's good to have things that money can buy, provided that you don't lose things that money can't buy. And that's what he sees as a grievous evil, is when people pursue something and miss the big picture. You know, they just... They just pursue money and lose out on the things that money can't buy. Which was the whole point of the conversation that Jesus has with the rich young man, right? Because the rich young man was this guy, he was just hoarding everything away in his barns. And he was just, you know, putting it all together for the future. And he didn't realize that this was his last day on earth. What a fool. And, and it wasn't a lesson to say that we shouldn't save for a rainy day or save for retirement or anything like that, that we would be misunderstanding it. It is a lesson to show us that it is a shame if people are pursuing riches instead of the one who created them in the first place, thinking that that is what's going to satisfy them. And provide for them. So the picture here, verses 13 through 17, the picture here is of two rich men. One hoarding all of his wealth and ruining himself by becoming a miser. And the other man made some unsound investments and lost all of his wealth. And he was just right back to where he started in the first place. And and they he spent the rest of his days in darkness and disappointment and defeat, and it, it led to anger and you know, bitterness and things of that sort. Keep in mind, Solomon is not, he's not advocating here in this whole conversation. He's not advocating for poverty, you know, uh, or for riches. Like, he's not, he's not saying one is good and one's bad. He's, he's not even trying to have that discussion at all. What he's, what he's trying to do is to help you know how to pursue life and what to pursue. Don't pursue money. But enjoy what money you have. Enjoy the things that God has blessed you with, but don't make them your pursuit in life. Now, more than one preacher has mentioned J.D. Rockefeller in their sermons before, and I was reading the other day about him, and I just decided, because when I find something, I'm not exactly sure how 
accurate or true it is. I try my best to research it just so that I know that feel good about what I am saying. And so I was reading about him, and he was it was just talking about when he was 53, he had just this depression about him and anxiety, and he didn't eat. He was just eating like crackers and just barely kind of staying alive. And then he discovered this thought that he was not going to try to hoard any of his stuff, but he was going to generously give it away, and that when he began to become really generous with all of his money, and by the way, even though there are people that are that are starting to, you know, approach being a trillionaire, we can't even fathom this because they are so much crazy billionaires now. J.D. Rockefeller would have still been considered richer than they were compared to what he owned versus what the GDP of America was because he owned like 6% of what the GDP was or something of that sort. I don't remember exactly, but... So it's just, this is a, a very wealthy man. But the, the story that I was reading was just talking about that he couldn't eat. You know, he was just being weighed down, 53 years old, depressed, and he finally started giving it away, and everything came back to him. And he began to find joy and stuff. And so I decided to research this, and I, I found it really fascinating to just read about him. You guys probably know way more than I know about this man. But literally, he had been a follower of Jesus from the get-go before he ever came upon a lot of money. Always going to church. Even at 20 years old, he was a tither, you know, uh, always tithing to his church, a Baptist church that he belonged to. And so as he was, you know, growing his company in the oil industry and just all these different adventures that he was in, he was staying faithful to the church. He was somebody that would, you know, go to church every week and, and, and such as this. And so I thought, well, why is it that, you know, he ended up at 53 years with depression? Because that's one of the things I read is that this literally happened. He literally went through a really very difficult time. He had alopecia too, by the way. <laughs> uh, just throw that out there anyway. But um, so realized, not that I know everything about his life, but it it just made me realize that it's easy to get off balance. It really is, and it's real easy to let stuff and money and things like that to become too much of a focus. And therefore, it's hard to enjoy. Because all of a sudden we are stuck too much in the future or at times we can be weighed down too much by the past. And evidently this is what happened to J.D. Rockefeller. Is something transpired where he began to worry too much about what he had. And there was too much pursuit there. And he began to just be weighed down by it. But through going to church, through being a believer in Jesus, he finally started understanding the wisdom that Solomon is trying to teach us, and that is not where satisfaction comes from. Satisfaction is living under the umbrella of God, enjoying God, and enjoying his gifts that he has given us, and to using those gifts to 
you know, be a blessing for you, but also be a blessing to other people and living under his instructions and his guidelines for these kinds of things. So at 83, he began, you know, he came out of that really well. He lived to be 98, by the way. But at 86 years old, this is how he summed up his own life. I thought I'd share it with you. I was early taught to work as well as to play. My life has been long and happy been a long and happy holiday. Full of work and full of play. I dropped the worry on the way and God was good to me every day. <laughs> I really think that he's hitting on something that Solomon is trying to teach us as we walk along this path. Solomon says what is good and fitting is labor faithfully, enjoy the good things of life, and accept all of the gracious gifts that God gives us. That right there is what I would say sums up how to have a good life. So in chapter 6, Solomon, he just concludes his discussion on the futility of wealth there. And he might as well, if he would have known, could have used Matthew 6.33 as his reference. And you know what that says, right? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you as well. So you pursue God, and you pursue his righteousness, and then God's going to give these gifts to you, and he's given them to you to enjoy. But you keep them in his umbrella I'm going to finish and just conclude with this. Warren Wiersbe, which I really enjoy reading him, this is what he says. He says, if we focus more on the gifts than the giver, we are guilty of idolatry. And let that process this for a second. If we focus more on the gifts than on the giver, we are guilty of idolatry because we put something that we love more than we love God. He goes on to say, if we accept his gifts, but complain about them, we are guilty of ingratitude. So if we accept his gifts, but we complain about them, we are guilty of ingratitude. If we hoard his gifts, we just hoard them. Not generous, not want anybody to touch, not want anybody to mess with them. If we hoard his gifts, and will not share with them share them with others we are guilty we are guilty of indulgence but if we yield this is the most important thing but if we yield to his will and use what he gives us for his glory then we can enjoy life and be satisfied and I really believe that that's what Solomon is trying to say to us. He has tried it all. And God has given us amazing wisdom to this man. And his conclusion, when it was all over, is just accept your lot wherever you are in life. Don't try to be, you know, somebody else because that means that you're just running after something that you think will satisfy you. And you'll be disappointed because it won't satisfy you. But whatever God has given you, whatever your lot is, whatever he has blessed you with, and you have so many blessings in your life, enjoy them. 
be generous along the way. Use them to bless other people, to share with other people. Enjoy your work, what you do. If you need an attitude change, then just ask God to help you have an attitude change about what you're doing, to find satisfaction, to find joy in what you do. If God is wanting you to change occupations or change direction, be willing to do that so that you can find satisfaction in what you do. But enjoy what you do and enjoy the things that God has given you and love him in all the things. And so as we walk down this path, I just think that's such an important lesson and reminder for us to have. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you so much uh, for this teaching. Sometimes I think that we walk around with guilt that we shouldn't have. And sometimes I think that we are pursuing things that we shouldn't be pursuing. And I just appreciate so much, Father, for just trying to enlighten us. And I just pray that you won't let Satan blur what your word is trying to say to us. That you will just help us, Father, to receive this word that you have given us and to receive this instruction. Father, may we be people who truly live free because Jesus has set us free. That we show the world what that looks like and what that means. Father, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.